Well, movie buffs will recognize uh, my title is the subtitle of Stanley Kubrick's great 1964 film, Dr. Strangelove. In Kubrick's dark comedy, the ruling class is much like our own, detached from reality. General Jack D. Ripper initiates a first strike against the Soviets over his paranoia about the purity of our precious bodily fluids. While Ripper's bombers cannot be recalled that a Soviet doomsday device makes Armageddon inevitable, rather than concede failure, Dr. Strangelove imagines a mine shaft gap in which uh, the prodigious breeders are herded into mine shafts to perpetuate in the apocalyptic future. One plausible reading of this title is that America's ruling class came to love the bomb because at that point they had come to prop themselves up with existential crises presumably unsolvable without their supposed expertise and in no case will they acknowledge the tragedy of the world for which they are responsible. In our own time, think Afghanistan, California, and Uvalde. In the case of Dr. Strangelove, we now know that our leaders created a significant threat of nuclear war within the command and control structure created to prevent that war. In trying to manage a threat, they created an equal or greater danger. Again, California, Afghanistan, and Uvalde. The book that validated Kubrick's scenario, Red Alert, was taken very seriously by the Pentagon, but publicly it was called, wait for it, Russian propaganda. Well, if you haven't figured it out already, Christian nationalism, the crisis du jour, is one more supposed existential crisis our ruling class has come to love. As one more iteration of nationalism, the boogeyman of the last several years, Christian nationalism has become an excuse to deploy the most destructively divisive and idiotic rhetoric from every corner of the intelligentsia, including many so-called evangelical thought leaders whose Gnosticism has, in two generations, contributed more to the destruction of an intellectually and culturally coherent Protestantism than the last 400 years of supposed secular modernity. But while there was potential for a Soviet strike in 1964, is there any potential for Christian nationalism in America? On the one hand, we can fear an ad hoc definition more or less invented by academics, journalists, and activists who quite honestly know nothing about Christian history or theology. This definition ranges from dystopian novels to what was oddly enough the moral code endorsed by most Americans, including the Obamas and the Clintons as recently as 15 years ago. Authoritarianism is now what most Americans believed about marriage in the lifetime of everyone in this room. Or we can indulge some anachronism. There was arguably something we can call Christian nationalism in the DNA of magisterial Protestantism, the political theology of most of the Protestant reformers. Most of Protestant Christendom did before there were credo-baptists and hyper-separatists interpret Jesus' command to baptize all nations to mean just that. They did not interpret the command to mean some believers in all nations as most would interpret it now. These Protestants emphasized that civil rulers were responsible before God and the people for their de facto covenanted polities acting as nurturing fathers. 
They took the Old Testament seriously and did not consider the example of biblical Israel to be some political, uh, excuse me, a spiritual political antitype as hyper-separatists, including Baptists, did later. Such cooperation of civil and ecclesiastical power within a particular nation, his realm, his religion, as the phrase went, stood in contrast with the universalism of Rome, for example. That actual historical case is not what the ruling class fears, because if they did know anything about the historical case, they would know how unsuccessful the establishments were relative to their ambitions and how difficult religious conformity became. The English Reformation confronted nonconformity almost immediately and struggled to maintain it under both Tudors and Stuarts, eventually tempering its ambitions. American colonies, including both Virginia and New England, were founded on the example from England of, non, of, excuse me, of conformity, even when founded by nonconformists, and faced increasing pressure from dissenting groups who wore down their religious establishments, again, relative to their ambitions, particularly Quakers and Baptists, as in England. By the time of the founding, whatever establishments existed in the states were a shadow of their old selves. But, and this cannot be emphasized enough, these establishments were undermined by Christian dissenters seeking congregational independence. There was no conception of religious pluralism as an ideal, and there was certainly no desire for anything like Rawlsian liberal neutrality. Even as Hanoverian Britain struggled with a relative shadow of establishment, for example, it still emphasized the importance of religion for morality. This was, in short, still a conservative anthropology, men and women bound by natural and revealed law. Even Locke, that supposedly great champion of natural religion, said as much himself. But to return to the challenge of religious establishment, separatist dissenters increasingly developed a particular political theology that was rejected by magisterial Protestants. That ecclesiology of independence or congregationalists was then made more radical by the Baptists. Instead of the wheat and tares of Jesus' parable, Growing up together after baptism, separatists, particularly Baptists, sought to gather the church out of the world, either turning the tares to wheat if it could happen, or at least keeping them from the full fellowship of the church. There is very little difference between the Baptist ecclesiology treating churches as voluntary associations and that articulated by Locke in his letter concerning toleration, for example. But one is hard-pressed to think that either Locke or the Baptists of the 17th century would have anything in common with today's liberals. Nevertheless, the Baptist complaints against their magisterial opponents, however incorrect, have become tropes that have accomplished far more than I think the Baptists would have wanted. For example, the idea that religious establishments presumed to force belief or extirpated all religious dissenters, neither were true. Under this ecclesiology, congregations became autonomous self-selecting societies, gardens as Roger Williams called them, while the world was considered a corrupt wilderness. And not surprisingly, a corrupt wilderness the world has increasingly become. What I'm talking about now is unknown to most Americans, especially Christians who have defaulted to this theology simply because it's been in the air and the water for many generations and because it is the default theology of non-denominationalism, and because we stumble into it from the starting point of liberalism. If pluralism came by principle, it was the principle of prudence forced by circumstances. Or it was the salient and complex idea of the conscience, 
a rich and important debate in Christian theology that's now been replaced by some cliche argle-bargle about personal authenticity and expression, both of which are now, uh, as has already been stated multiple times here at the conference, tearing down marriage, childbearing, the home is the center of life and education. Hopefully, uh, the point of this has become obvious. That which is most preventing Christian nationalism, the kind the New York Times would have us be afraid of, is actually America's Christians. We needn't even fear Christian ideas about resistance and revolution. If the elites knew anything about this, they would know that its legal dimensions were substantially, if not entirely, constitutional. Christian political thought, deeply humanist in its orientation, also emphasized prudence and humility in addition to repentance. Every rebel will have to stand before God and defend what he has done. But can you imagine how frightening prudence, humility, and accountability are if you're responsible for California, Afghanistan, and Uvalde? If Protestant resistance theory poses a threat to the status quo, it is little different than that which already exists from constitutionalism and the rule of law. As for the specific case of January 6 and Christian nationalism, see Daniel's fine essay on this in the American Conservative. So given that there is no longer any robust theology to enable Christian nationalism, that leaves us with a bait and switch. What we're expected to fear is something that hasn't existed in America for centuries and isn't likely to exist so long as American Protestants maintain their current theology, which is more or less a kind of Baptist-y hyper-separatism. That fear, however, is a Trojan horse for destroying what is essentially a de facto Protestant establishment of the most benign but salutary type. And everyone saw that de facto establishment when they came to America. Even the Catholics saw it and praised it, as Tocqueville did in the 19th century, as Jacques Maritain did in the 1940s. Education was directed to character formation, including spiritual formation and preparation for vocation. Political institutions were expected to maintain public decency, a sphere of domestic life enabling all the blessings of marriage, not only for the sake of spouses over a long life, but also their children. Work was not merely a means to idleness or extravagance, but duty and vocation gave purpose and meaning. All of this was done before God and one's neighbor with political leaders invoking both God and scripture to emphasize virtues, public and private. This was the de facto Protestant establishment, even if it was not the Protestant establishment of old. This was Christian nationalism. As in Kubrick's Cold War, however, our secular elites deliver one crisis after another because there is always an establishment. There is always a catechism. There is always a teleology defining life from its beginning to its end. The old Protestant establishment was hardly perfect, but tell me how it is worse than this one. Welcome to the new establishment. Christian nationalists should be asking, so how's that working out for you? Thank you.